Welcome to the Good Christelphian Talks podcast. I'm Levi. And I'm Chris. Thank you so much for joining us this week. On this podcast, we select one talk a week to help each one of us get the Bible in our daily newsfeed. We post at the start of each week for you to listen with a short intro beforehand to kind of set the stage for the talk you're about to hear. And now, let's hear more about this week's talk. Our talk this week is an exhortation that was given by Brother James Diliberto at the Ecclesia in Mount Waverly. And the class that he gave, I just found it to be a really good look at the exhortation on the sinfulness of our flesh and how we tend to be careless with the way that our mind thinks and the way that we can almost deceive ourselves. And the title of his exhortation is Be Not Deceived. And frequently, I feel like a lot of times we're talking about you know, not being tricked by other people in the world or being deceived by what the world has to offer to us. And James, in his exhortation, takes a really good look at the way in which we can basically justify things to ourselves or can make excuses for ourselves and why we're able to push boundaries and instead looks at the way that Christ lived his life about keeping us as far away from temptation as he can, just putting it completely out of his mind, putting it in a place where, you know, you're not even within arm's reach of it. So often I feel, at least I know sometimes in my own life, it can be easy to think, well, I can be in the same room as something and it won't bother me. And James makes an excellent point going into it about how that we shouldn't be anywhere near it. He makes a really great connection as he's looking through being deceived. He starts by looking at the deception in the garden with Eve and Adam and the serpent. and makes a really awesome connection that I hadn't heard anybody bring up before, making the connection to the symbology that Christ used when he's referring to the scribes and the Pharisees in the New Testament, talking about them being a brood of vipers. And uh, it was a really good choice uh, in looking at the carnal minds and how the decision-making that those religious leaders of the time were making but were being driven by their carnal mind rather than the spiritual mind that Christ was coming from. So it's a little bit of a shorter exhortation, about 30 minutes or so, but uh, I found it a really, really encouraging one to listen to, really got got you pumped up and really forced you to take a look at yourself and the choices you're making, so one I really wanted to to make sure to share. Uh, James is a, is a fun speaker to listen to, so uh, as always, if you have any suggestions, we, we get them, we get a couple every week, and they're always super useful. We, we like to hear what other people are enjoying, so it's not just what Levi and I enjoy, but getting it from other people. Uh, so send those in, uh, as well as just the positive feedback we get from people. It's encouraging to know that people are finding it useful and encouraging and are, are liking it. If you have anybody who isn't listening to the podcast and you think that they would find the encouragement, feel free to share it with them. The number of listens and downloads we get every week are slowly going up. We're getting close to several hundred a week. So we're excited to see that and hoping that people are enjoying the, the podcast. So with that, we'll turn it over to Brother James Deliberto for his exhortation, Be Not Deceived. My title this morning is Be Not Deceived, The Lies We Believe. And over the past year's readings, particularly through the New Testament, I've been picking up on this repeated phrase, Be Not Deceived and some that are similar to it. And when I suggested that I would speak to this topic to Charlotte, she said, well, isn't that a bit negative for an exhortation? And I said to her, well, it's better than the first option that I had, which was sackcloth and ashes, rituals of lamentation. So perhaps for a Bible class someday. I promise you there's a very good positive turnaround at the end. And uh, as the prophet Habakkuk said, if it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. 
You know, one of the worst things in the world, I'm sure you would agree, is the feeling that we've been deceived, isn't it? We recently bought a new car, and during the price negotiation, the dealer offered to throw in an extended warranty instead of the price reduction that I was asking for, good, some good New York negotiations. And while I felt like I got a good deal, unfortunately, a few months later, we received a bill in the mail for the full amount of the premium. Now, surprised, we called up the dealer only to find out that the phone was disconnected and upon further investigation that the business had actually gone out of business only a few weeks after we bought the car and they never paid the premium. Of course, we were up for it. We had been deceived. And it was one of those feelings like, you feel like you know you've been deceived and perhaps maybe you feel like if you were a bit smarter, you could have done something about it. Well, deception like that, and unfortunately, everywhere in this world is prevalent. I'm sure all you have to do is read the news and you find that there's corruption and there's fraud in, in the government and in banks and uh, in business. Any of those uh, like myself who are in business, unfortunately, you realize that deception is actually for some people a big part of success. And it's a real shame. And we even see it, unfortunately, in the, the world's governments, don't we? As we see with the recent government situation. Deception is common among human relationships. And fundamentally, deception is part of our very nature as we had in our two readings. So why would I bring that up on a Sunday morning as we focus on the memorials? Well, in most cases, the Bible's warnings on this particular topic are with respect to some of those things that I was talking about, which is the common lies that we might believe that come from others. But while there are many exhortations in that regard, the one that surprised me was the fact that the vast majority of the warnings, brothers and sisters, in this topic are the ways in which we deceive our own selves. You see, we get frustrated when we feel like we're deceived by someone else and we look to figure out why it happened and could we have known it. And you know, the ones that catch us off guard and where we need an exhortation this morning, all of us, is the ways in which we can deceive ourselves. And I think that that happens in two broad ways that the Bible speaks about, and I think we'll be encouraged this morning thinking about it. One, it's the lie that our sinful nature tells us that we actually are not as bad as we are. And another one, and where we'll finish in a, a glorious focus on the, on the gospel and what Christ has done for us, is that he is not as good as he is. Both of those lies, brothers and sisters, will deceive us out of living the life that God has called us to live in holiness and righteousness before him. And second, will pry our hold off of the crown of salvation that the Lord Jesus Christ died to make available to everyone who puts their faith in him. So I pray this morning that this message will both challenge you, as we ought to in all of our exhortations, but also encourage you. I am so grateful for this word that I hold in my hand, the word of God. And the reason why I'm so thankful for it, probably more than any other with respect to this topic, is because it is the only mirror in which I can look that shows me who I really am. And to that effect, I'd like to quote from a book that I read recently about this topic. 
uh, the accuracy of the Bible. And it goes like this. The first reason I trust the revelation and teaching of Christ and the Bible, apart from all of the philosophical, historical, and prophetic arguments, is its accuracy and honesty of its description of human nature. For centuries on end, we have held in our hands that which describes and defines what your heart and my heart is like. It is the most accurate and exhaustive explanation of mankind and the way he thinks. Aren't you so thankful for this word of God that we have? It's the one thing that will never lie to us about who we are, about what we are, about the trappings of humanity, and about the forgiveness that despite our humanity is available to us. This book, this word of God that I know that you love along with me. But aren't you so thankful for that? And in that regard then, therefore, this morning, we're going to start off with some challenges, some challenging passages of Scripture that I hope that despite them making you possibly feel a little bit uncomfortable about yourself, you'll be thankful for it because it's the truth. And we speak the truth in love to one another as the Apostle Paul exhorted us. And so does the Bible. It speaks the truth to us in love. Foundations are important. I'm sure you would agree. I'm sure you guys do plenty of first principle foundations here. And I'm so thankful that I had my foundations growing up. And we spent a lot of time looking at the foundations that come from the book of Genesis. And of course, in Genesis, in that chapter that we had read for us this morning, we find the first great moral conflict in history, which is, in the record's own words, the serpent versus Eve the mother of all living, or that old serpent, as Revelation has it. The serpent versus Eve. Now in that conflict, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, it says, now the serpent was more subtle, ESV has crafty, than any of the other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree of the garden. And after clarification of the matter by Eve, she says this to our topic this morning. She says, the serpent deceived me. And I ate. The serpent deceived me and I ate. The serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. It was a lie. She would die. The serpent deceived me. And that's how Eve felt. Eve felt that she had been deceived. Perhaps should she have listened? Perhaps there was more interaction with Adam. You know, we've uh, pontificated on this topic much in our ecclesial discussions, as we should. But the fundamentally, the feeling of Eve and the testimony of the scripture is that she felt like she was deceived. Now, as we are ought to do, when we interpret the Bible, we let the Bible interpret itself. Now, I'd like to turn to a passage where Jesus interprets this for us. And he interprets it in such a way that I think leaves us a lot that we can learn. And this is in his interaction with the Pharisees. You know, sometimes we can have a look at the Bible and we make the antagonist the other one, and we're the protagonist. For the moment this morning, I'd like you to perhaps put yourself into the Pharisees' shoes 
and maybe listen to the Lord Jesus's words as a, as a rebuke, as a bit of an exhortation. John chapter 8, verses 43 to 45. And you can see the clear links here to Genesis 3. The Lord Jesus said, why do you not understand what I say? Just reading out of ESV here. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear with my word. It's going to be important for later. You cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Skip down to verse 55. Jesus says, but you have not known him, but I know him. And if I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. You see how in this passage, Jesus juxtaposes himself with the Pharisees. On the one hand, he aligns himself with the father. And unfortunately, he aligns the Pharisees with their father, or at least the figurehead in which Jesus uses the devil or as we have in the Greek, the diabolos, which means a slanderer or a false accuser or a liar. And he says to them, you are of your father, the devil. You know, Jesus and John the Baptist both make reference to this, I believe, when they both open their ministries by saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And when those came to him, they both said, you brood of vipers. Or, in other terms, you little snakes. That's what he said. See, he's making a reference back to Genesis chapter 3. He's saying that fundamentally, the way that they live, the way that they think, the way that they process information and make decisions is just like that old serpent in Genesis chapter 3. You know how Paul calls it in Romans chapter 8? The carnal mind. He says the carnal mind. It's a deceiver. And as we had in our meditation reading, thanks Nick, Revelation chapter 12, all of that metonymy comes into one verse. All of those symbols from Genesis to Revelation, the Lord Jesus in his revelation ties them all up in the one verse and he makes it absolutely clear what we're supposed to understand when we read things like the serpent and the devil and Satan. It's all tied up in this one verse. Look at verse nine. It says, and the great dragon was thrown down. Now, if we have any understanding of what this is, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. But here's the good news. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and power and kingdom of our God and the authority of our Christ has come. But finish the verse. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before God. Now we can read the book of Revelation through the historical understanding and try to understand what this is saying in the big picture. However, Revelation is punctuated with these little moral uh, encouragements, these little exhortations. And I think that this is one of them. He's saying that where Eve felt that serpent had deceived me, whatever that might be, ultimately one day will be conquered by the blood of this man that we remember this morning, Paul says, Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. 
Brothers and sisters, fundamentally, our nature is a deceiver. The carnal mind is a deceiver. All we have to do is read how James describes it in James chapter one, where he explains all that is in the world, which is what John says. James says, every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And then when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. Do you know what he says right after that? We often don't finish there because we, we, we often finish there because we think that, in, at least in my Bible, the paragraph goes to the next one. Look at verse 16. It says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. You see, I wonder if James was actually tying it to those previous verses. That's like a memory verse. That's when we get in our foundations. But verse 16 is often not included. I think it should be included. Then desire, when it has conceived, brings forth sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. You see how James is appealing? He's saying, in light of this deception, be careful. Sin is a choice. We can choose not to be deceived if we have our wits about us. Just like I felt, perhaps if I had my wits about me a little bit more with the buying the car, maybe I would have picked up on the fact that there was only two people working there and there was a lot of cars in the thing and he was very, very fast to sign the deal. Perhaps if I had my wits about me a little bit more, I might not have been deceived. Never mind about cars, that doesn't matter. You know what does matter? When we sin before our God and we could have known it, we could have known it and we didn't because we trusted our inner snake, for lack of a better term. Now, why do I feel that way? Well, you know, Jeremiah 17, 9 is another one of those memory verses. It says, now the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Our heart. And I'm sure like uh, Nathaniel and Susan are finding out, and as uh, Mick and Hannah are about to find out, it's amazing how soon in life this becomes apparent. Charlotte and I recently, uh, the kids were having a bath and recently uh, I was just, just around the corner sitting on a chair and I heard a loud cry and I ran into the, ran in to see what was happening and Audrey immediately said, I didn't just push Elizabeth into the water. I said, well, Audrey, I didn't suggest that you did, which was of course a dead giveaway. And I thought to myself, Audrey, I've never lied to you in my life, but it's there, it's there. That self-preservation, that escape from guilt, it's there. We want to make excuses. It was there in Genesis 3. They all made excuses. They all passed the buck. And you know what they needed to do? And you know what we need to do? We need to accept it. When we've been deceived, especially when it's been by us and we sin against our Holy Father, we need to be big enough to say, I did it. And I come to you for forgiveness. And we can never forget this. This is why the Bible describes this as a snake. Romans 8 verse 7 says, Because the carnal mind is enmity with God, for it is not subject to the law of God, and this is the part that's most important, neither indeed can be. Right? Neither indeed can be. Our flesh is not subject to the will of God. It can't be. It has to be replaced by something else. And in the minutes, and this young people, I'll come, come to some examples in a minute here. Young people, older people, it doesn't change. 
It might change form and the temptations might modify, but fundamentally the snake is still there. That old serpent remains. And you know what I like about that Romans 8 verse 7? It's another callback to Genesis 3 verse 15, isn't it? That enmity, where did that enmity start? It's Genesis 3.15's enmity. It's the enmity that was between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It's there. And Paul interprets it for us and tells us exactly what it is. That serpent, what it was supposed to be telling us, what we're supposed to learn from this, the reason why the Bible uses these consistent metaphors from start to finish is because we're supposed to see it for what it is, and that is the carnal mind. Now, we should know not to play with snakes, shouldn't we? Especially in Australia. You should, I think everything in Australia is poisonous. You shouldn't touch anything that's reptilian in Australia. Now, I used to have a snake. I actually had, I had a, a, a python, which to the many people's surprise, I did have a snake. And, um, and I had to get rid of it once because I started to trust it. And I got a little bit too comfortable with it and I got bitten. So I got rid of it and traded it at the pet store for a chameleon, which was quite harmless. But I remembered in this moment thinking, and this, you know, this is what we do with people in the Bible. It's in our mind. We can't help but think it. I thought, you serpent, that old serpent, I started to trust you. Brother, sister, just by way of exhortation this morning, do you trust your snake? What chances do you take? You know, I've thought about this a number of times. You know, we take the most insane risks with the carnal mind. Young people, do you attend that party or that event that you know full well there's going to be inappropriate behavior, Christadelphian or not, to our shame? Traveling brother, business owner, do you accept to go out with your colleagues after work is complete? when you know full well what the plans are going to be, and just think, I'll be fine, I'll... And all of a sudden, trust your inner serpent. Do you go out of town? Often. And do you leave your phone next to your bed? When you're doing your tax returns, do you linger just a little bit longer on that exclusion line? Or do you do what Jesus did and in that moment say, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. That's the self-talk that we need to have. That's the self-talk that Eve didn't have, but what our Lord Jesus definitely had. He was aware of his nature. Have you ever wondered why Jesus, it was some, one of those things that kind of bothered me for a lot of years, when Jesus identifies himself with the serpent, he says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the son of man also must be lifted up. You know, I think there's a subtle exhortation there. He's saying, I know what I am made of. And he didn't let the flesh, he didn't let that serpent have one inch. He called on the word of God. He called on his father. And in, in my opinion, we don't have any specific examples. I could think maybe of one that when he was confronted by great temptation, I believe that he left immediately. At minimum, at minimum, he called it for what it was. 
You know, those temptations in the wilderness, most Christadelphians interpret the temptations in the wilderness as being a metaphorical record of the fight that was happening inside the mind of the Lord. Now, depending on whatever your take is on that, fundamentally, whether it's external or internal, fundamentally, at some point, they were real temptations for the Lord himself. And what did he do? He slew them with the word of God. He slew the serpent with the word of God. He knew and he took action. You know, when I think about how, um, when I think about how the, uh, how Solomon reflects on his life often in the Proverbs, he writes about some of the temptations that were strong to him and perhaps were strong to some of you here today. And he says, can a man carry fire next to his chest? and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? Can't play with the snake. Not like I did. And unfortunately, not like sometimes we all do. Paul says, another one of these times, he says, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good character. Bad company ruins good character. Why does he say that? Why does he say don't be deceived? Because it's easy for us to tell ourselves that it won't, but it will. You see, when when Moses gave Israel the instructions before going into Canaan, he said this, take care, take care lest your heart be deceived and lest you turn aside to serve other gods and worship them. See, it's the same message. The Bible has been giving the same message to his people for thousands of years. Be careful. Don't be deceived. It's within you. And if you hang around dogs, you're going to get fleas. Or at least that's what my dad used to say. And you know what I'm really thankful for as we turn turn our thoughts to the, the antidote to all of this? I'm thankful as much as I'm thankful for the memory verse of Jeremiah 17, 9. I'm thankful for the one that wasn't in the memory verse, which is Jeremiah 17, 10. I'd like you to turn there for just a moment. Although Jeremiah 17, 9 describes what your heart and my heart is like, I'm thankful for verse 10, which says, But I, Yahweh, search the heart and test the mind to give everyone according to his ways. It's very similar to the way that David implores God in Psalm 139, where he says, search me, O God, know my heart, try me and see if there is any wicked way within me and lead me in the way everlasting. The good news this morning is that with this Bible and with the help of our Lord, we can navigate that carnal mind And we can conquer it with the spiritual mind, which is the whole purpose of Romans 5 to 8, describing that, helping us understand what it's like. So look at Galatians chapter 6, uh, verse, verse 3. We do have two options, and we come here every Sunday to be encouraged in the second. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 3 says, If anyone thinks that he is something... When he is nothing, he deceives himself. 
So what do we do when we realize that we're nothing? Well, skip down to verse seven and eight, where it says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whoever sows that which he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. And that is true. And that's what we've been talking about up until now. But when we sow to the spirit, when we invest in this word, when we invest in our ecclesial activities, when we meditate and pray and focus on the things of the spirit, the rest of the verse is true. The one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. We can choose what we feed. What is it that we encourage? What is it that we feed? Well, Hebrews chapter three, verses 12 to 14 describes it in another way. Hebrews 3, verse 12. Again, a common, common verse that we all know. Take care, my brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But, and this is why we're here this morning, but exhort one another every day, so long as it is called today, that none of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Now, the reason why I think that verse is encouraging, although it might feel like it's a negative verse, if that wasn't true and if it wasn't possible, he wouldn't say that the exhortation would work. But it does work when we come together and encourage one another. We throw off the deceitfulness of sin because we're listening to the voice of truth. And we're reminding ourselves. And so that's why he encourages them to exhort one another, lest we be hardened. It doesn't have to be the case. We just have to be able to know when it happens by gazing into God's mirror, as we've mentioned before. So let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4, which was our second reading. Ephesians 4, and we'll look at verses 20 to 24. First, the exhortation piece. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught of him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. But here's the antidote. But to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self that is created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and true holiness. He echoes what James said that we read before in James chapter one. If you just skip down to verse 27, give no opportunity to the devil. Be not deceived. We don't have to let the serpent have rule over our life because we have the mind of Christ. And we come here to be filled up every week in that mind of Christ. But we can't do it unless we know what we have. To know what we've become and what's available, we have to know what we are by nature. Test everything, brothers and sisters, and cleave to that which is good. If we ever stop fighting, we already lost. 
We need to practice that narrative in our mind. Get thee behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God. That's what we have to ask ourselves in every decision that we make. Is this decision being made by setting our minds on the things of God or on the things of the flesh? And when we do that, like happened for for the Lord Jesus, and as we get exhorted, it says, then the devil left him. It says, then the devil left him. And just like it will for us, James says, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. We don't always have to be the ones on the run. Put the flesh on the run. We've got a mighty savior who has the answer to every lie that our natural minds will tell us. We just have to be able to listen to his answer. Look at Matthew chapter 15, verses 18 to 20. What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defile a person. And if we're on guard for when those seeds start to come, they will never sprout at all. They will be conquered by the mind of Christ. Be renewed by the spirit of our minds. Those who belong to Christ, brothers and sisters, do what he did, which is why he said that Moses had to lift up the bronze serpent in the wilderness so he would also be lifted up. So Galatians chapter five says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So our exhortation this morning is that we would do that. So what's the good news? Well, brothers and sisters, unfortunately, it doesn't always happen. And sometimes we get bitten by the snake, don't we? Well, there's another lie that I think we possibly carry into every Sunday morning, which is that the sins that we have committed, that the times that we have been bitten by the snake, that we carry them in on a Sunday and we're going to carry them out. Now, there's zero way at all that I'm making a reference to any sort of a transactional anything to do with this. But in a metaphorical sense, we need to leave here knowing that Christ conquered the serpent. He crushed it. And as he will, even though it bites us, he will crush it in his righteousness. Turn to 1 John chapter 3 and look at verse 7 and 8. First John chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. And this is another one of those ones that just surprised me, but I was so thankful that it did. 1 John 3, verse 7, it says, Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, just like we started in that early reading. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. But look at the end of the verse. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed, that's the other seed from Genesis 3, 
God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep sinning because he has been born of God. So for those of us who make a practice, it doesn't mean we're perfect, but when our life is patterned after Christ and we make a practice, that's why I like how the ESV puts it. King James sounds too black and white. It can't be that way. Whoever makes a practice of doing righteousness is righteous. Why? Because of the new covenant, the Lord, our righteousness, that when we have faith, it's imputed to us for righteousness. And we are righteous. And we can leave here because we know that he came to destroy the works of the devil. And we are here to learn, learn rather, how to follow in his steps. Let no one, therefore, Colossians chapter two, and this is what I want to encourage you with. The whole beginning is true, but let no one beguile you. Paul uses those very words in Colossians two verse 18, just like the serpent. Let no one beguile you of your reward by thinking we have to earn this. It says through voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, introducing into those things which have seen vainly puffed up in his own fleshly mind. He's talking about that feel that we also naturally have that we have to be perfectly righteous in order for us to attain righteousness. And Paul describes it for his own self and says, sin taking an occasion by the commandment deceived me and slew me. Therefore, brothers and sisters, don't throw away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Don't throw away your confidence. He is righteous. He lived the perfect life of righteousness and he crushed the head of the serpent under his feet because he knew that we wouldn't be able to but he's left us an example that we might follow in his steps. He said, I'm coming soon. Hold fast to what you have and let no one seize your crown. But what I say to you this morning is not even yourself in either of those two ways that one, we forget what we are by nature and two, we forget what he has become by the gift of God. And when we receive those two things, we can leave here living the life that Christ has left us an example for, and we can leave here declared righteous by the Lord our righteousness, and that we won't throw away our great reward. Thank you for listening to the Good Christadelphian Talks podcast. Please subscribe for new episodes and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or whichever service you are listening from to help people find the show when they search for it. If you enjoyed this talk, share it on social media so other people can find it too. For show notes and links to the talk that you just listened to, visit our show page at anchor.fm slash GCT. We want to encourage everyone to share their thoughts from the talk this week on Facebook or Instagram, where we are at Good Christadelphian Talks or on Twitter, where we are at GCT underscore podcast. If you know of a great talk, we want to know about it too. Send a suggestion to goodchristadelphiantalks at gmail.com or message us on any of our social media platforms. Thank you for listening. God bless and talk to you next week.